Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 14, and I encourage everyone to go back and study chapters 12 and 13, and really go back to the very beginning, the introduction, the background, starting with chapter 1, coming all the way through chapter 14. But chapters 12, 13, and 14, I believe, flow so well together. Chapter 12 is talking about us presenting ourselves unto God as a living and holy sacrifice. That is what is our spiritual service of worship unto God. It talks about our relationships within the body of Christ and also with those that are trying to persecute us. And we see these dynamics flowing through chapter 12. At the end of chapter 12, we are reminded that vengeance is not ours. Vengeance belongs to God. And that's a very important principle as we come into chapter 13, because God has given government, the institution of government, the ability to institute the sword, vengeance for wrongdoing. And we look at government, and we're talking about the institution of government, that it has that power, that authority. The institution of government is like the institution of marriage and family. It is God-given. It is governing authorities in the family over children, husbands, and wives. And we understand that not every marriage is good. However, the institution of marriage comes from God. In the same way as family units became nations, became larger, you had to have governing authorities over those societies. And governments, the institution comes from God. It doesn't mean that all governments are good, nor does it mean that all governments are bad. There are some that are better than others, but the institution of government is given by God. And you can never escape government. Even anarchists, they want to live a life free of rules and government, but as soon as they have their way, what do they start instituting? Rules to live by. That's governing principles. So government has the ability in God's hands to execute the sword. We don't have that ability. We have the ability to do what is right, to honor God, to follow His character, and to treat people in the way that God wants us to treat them. Government has the ability to put people into prison. Government has the ability to execute the sword, even the death penalty. And so that was always the context of the law that was given to Moses as well. Not any individual had the right to institute the law within their own hands. That came through the institution of government, ruling authorities over the people. Now we're flowing into chapter 14, again about relationship within the body of the Messiah, principles of conscience. And how do we deal with others within the body that have a different opinion on the non-essential things of our faith? That's very important. 
I'm going to establish from the beginning, Paul never teaches us to compromise with things that are clear-cut wrong against God and His Word. What we're dealing with in chapter 14 are the non-essential things of our faith that you and I may have disagreements over. It is very similar to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I encourage you to go back and reread or re-listen to that recording that we did on 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So let's go through this chapter 14. Alan is with me today. Laura is here, and together we are going to go through. We're going to teach this. We're going to have dialogue with what Paul is saying to the believers at Rome and follow along with us. The first verse, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. So in the body of Christ, there are going to be some that are stronger in faith and some that are weaker in faith. When you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 18, that's the same context. The stronger brother knows that eating meat that, is, that they have bought in the marketplace that indirectly might have come from the temple, the pagan temples, that it's okay to eat meat that's indirectly coming from that place. It is not acceptable, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, to eat meat that has directly been sacrificed to an idol and then offered to you. We understand that in the church in Corinth, there were some that did not even want to eat meat that had indirectly come from the pagan temples to the marketplace, and they have eaten it. And some of them are saying, no, we should never eat meat because it might have been sacrificed to the idols. What does Paul say at the end of chapter 8? If meat causes my brother to stumble, I'm talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If meat causes my brother to stumble, I will not eat meat. The weaker brother in that context is the one that had a problem with eating meat that indirectly possibly came from the temples to the marketplace. The stronger brother has this understanding that it's okay and it's all right to eat these things. So in the body of Christ, there are weaker brothers and there are those that are stronger in the faith. In this context, what it means, those that have limited understanding, but they still have convictions versus those that have come to the conviction that it's okay to do these things. And these are talking about the non-essential things of our faith, and we're going to flow into these things. This is a really good case for why sometimes the chapter divisions can cause confusion, because I've had people use these passages here to say that some people are weak in faith, so they struggle with sin. But right before in chapter 13, it addressed morality and didn't give any room to wiggle when it comes to morality. Yes, let's read verse 14 of chapter 13. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. This is not in the context of living in sin and you say it's okay and I say it's wrong. That is not the context as we go through here. It's about non-essential things that we may disagree on in our faith, but it doesn't separate us. 
And we have to have some flexibility on the non-essential things of our faith as a stronger brother or sister in the Lord. So let's look at verse 1 again. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. And you're exactly right, Laura. Someone would look at this and not look at the context and say, don't judge me. I have my opinion and you have your opinion. But what is the context? Verse 2, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Again, going back, I believe, to that context of 1 Corinthians 8, and later in the chapter, it's really going to come out as we go through this. So it's an issue about food. One person is saying, we're not going to eat meat. It's not that they're vegetarians, but there is a cultural thing that is going on within the culture that if you buy meat at the marketplace, it could have been offered to the idols in the pagan temples first. So one person is saying, we're only going to eat vegetables. Verse 3, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. So we have a difference of opinion. Alan says, I'm going to only eat vegetables. And I say, no way. If it hasn't been offered directly to an idol, I'm going to buy some meat and I'm going to eat. All right, we have to consider each other. We have a difference of opinion. But what Paul is saying, both of them are accepted by God. And this is why. Let's continue. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. If we look at what Paul is saying, I'm not to judge my brother who is a servant of another. Who is he serving? He's not serving me. And why is he not eating this meat? Because he has conviction not to eat it. He is standing before the Lord. He is doing it for the Lord. Therefore, I don't have the right to judge him and to destroy him and his faith because he's doing this out of faith. Now, later on in the chapter, we will see for that individual, it is a issue of faith. So let me read this again. To his own master, he stands or falls. He will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. This person that I'm disagreeing with is doing it because of his relationship with the Lord. It's an issue of his faith. Do you think it's a matter of not arguing with them, but maybe kind of through time, because this is something that can, some things can really keep you under bondage. No, I don't think it's an issue that we shouldn't argue. Some people think that arguing, that it's sinful, and it's not. You see all the way through the Bible, people arguing. However, am I going to argue my opinion to the point that it separates me from my brother and that it hurts his faith? There is a point where it becomes too much. And I have to be able to see my weaker brother, if I'm the stronger brother, he has his convictions, even though I don't agree with it, and he's doing it for the Lord, he's serving his master, and I need to let it go. 
Paul's talking more to that person that's the stronger brother because when you start judging people and, and looking at it, what, how's your heart, you know, towards that person? Are you going to say, well, I don't want to hang out with Scott because he just, I think he gets this wrong and then I start judging you whether or not I say it in my mind and I think that can affect the stronger brother here in that context where they're actually dealing with things just because they can't get it. You say it a lot major in the minor things, you know, taking little things and letting that creep in. And, you know, the enemy loves to build animosity in the body of Christ anywhere that he can. And if we let those little things seep in, that's more on that stronger brother to understand that they don't need to do that. Right. And when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul comes to the conclusion, if meat causes my brother to stumble, I will not eat meat. It's more of the responsibility on the stronger person in the faith to look at the weaker brother and to see where they are in their walk with the Lord and not try to push them into something that is against their convictions. Do you think, Paul, in this, in the context of writing to the, the Romans, the church at Rome, was this sort of, I guess, an international church? I'm not sure what the right word back then would be for it. You know, it seems like there's Jews and Gentiles, maybe a transient city where people were coming to. So in my mind, I'm thinking of just cultural differences, and we see that even in the world today. Some things in India are regarded as you shouldn't do that, where in the West it's okay, and it's not a, an issue of the faith. So maybe is there some context of cultural type of things here as well? Well, again, it it has everything to do with the pagan temples and food that is going there and then to the markets indirectly. What I would say, the culture of Rome is a Hellenistic culture, primarily Greek culture, Greek language. Even though you would have had Latin there at that time, it's a pantheistic society. All roads lead to God or polytheistic. That means they have their many gods and one god becomes their god. So it's very similar to the culture within, say, the country of India, Hinduism. So within that, people are getting saved. Now, I would say this, Alan, that because it is the citadel of the Roman Empire, you would have people that would have come from all over the empire, whether as slaves or free. And so everyone that's coming is bringing a little bit different subculture with them. It's a Hellenistic culture, but at the same time, a subculture. And when I say Hellenistic, I mean Greek language, Greek mythology. Sometimes it's in a Roman context and within the Latin language because you're in the city of Rome, but they're coming with their subcultures as well. I believe the majority of the people within this community of faith are Gentiles because the Jews were kicked out by Claudius. And this is 57 AD, and they were gone for many years, and now Jews are filtering back into the city. However, I would say the majority of the believers are coming from a Gentile, Hellenistic background, pantheistic and polytheistic religions, and now they're getting saved. And you can see if someone has been saved out of that, they don't want to have any connection back to eating meat, because is very much like India, and we've talked about this. If you go buy something in the store, there is a good chance it's been offered to an idol before you come and buy it. And in India, that could be whether it's meat or vegetables or whatever it is. So you have to ask the question, was it offered directly and given to me or indirectly? And we know that's an indirect context, and it's okay to eat it. 
But if my neighbor comes and says, I offer this to Ganesh and hands it to me, I have to say no. I have to say no, because that would be directly participating in idol worship. So yes, it's probably a diverse population, but within a culture that saturates the whole city, and they're getting saved out of that culture, and these issues become very important issues. But it's not just food. Let's go to the next verse. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, this could be bringing in the Jew-Gentile background as well, where if you're coming from a Jewish background, the, the Shabbat, the Sabbath, is very important, that you keep the Sabbath. That would be a day that the synagogues were opened, and it would be a day of prayer, a day of rest, a day of worshiping the Lord. Yet others in the Roman context are not coming from that background, and it doesn't have the same meaning. So we don't need to have a day separate us. One person looks at every day as holy unto the Lord, every day alike, and one person may say, no, we have to do this on this day. So we have to be careful that days do not separate us, that foods do not separate us. Verse 6, he who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks unto God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to the Lord. So they have a conviction not to eat. You're doing it for the Lord. You have that conviction that this is wrong, and I'm not going to do this because it would hurt my Lord. What's wrong with that? One person really feels a conviction that they need to honor this day in order to worship the Lord. Do it. Another person sees every day as alike, as holy unto the Lord, but you're still doing it unto the Lord. These are non-essential things that even today separate the body of Christ, and they should not separate the body of Christ. Now, let's continue. Let's go to verse 7. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. Verse 8, everybody should remember this statement that Paul is making to the believers at Rome. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And in both cases of these issues, they're doing it for the Lord. That's their conviction. So get over it. Allow that person to not eat meat. They have a conviction against it, but they're doing it for the Lord. If we live, let's live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Everything is for the Lord. These are non-essential things, and it's very important that we see what is essential and what is non-essential. When you look back, there are many things that are very essential. Think about Paul with the Galatians. He would not compromise for even a second with the issue, are we under the law of Moses? No, because that would be changing the gospel. That's a different gospel. Think about 1 Corinthians 5, the man that is living in sin, and the whole church knows about it. You have to get him out of the church. He cannot be part of the community of faith. So there are things that are essential and there are things that are non-essential, and these are non-essential. That is the context here. God, I'll just add, I know we've maybe talked about it before in other podcasts, but someone saying that if you don't serve or worship the Lord on this day, 
you know, you're not saved, then I think that's, you know, challenging, and that's a different Then it gospel. becomes an essential. Yeah, so then it's an essential. So you have some cults here in the West that say, if you don't worship on this day, then you're, you're not saved, and you're not going to heaven, and that's something you do want to challenge. Yes, because they're putting us back under the law, which is a different gospel. That's not the context here. A person individually may have the conviction that they want to keep the Sabbath and still not say that we're under the law. But it's their conviction, it's their background, but they're doing it for the Lord, and that is something that they should do. If they say, you're not doing it, so you're not saved, that's when it becomes an essential thing that I have to fight back against. It seems like this statement could be kind of a litmus test, because you can't say, I don't get drunk as unto the Lord, or I do get drunk as unto the Lord. It doesn't make sense with issues of morality with this type of statement that he just made. No, it doesn't. This is not a free-for-all. As people in the Western culture want to use this phrase, do not judge me. I have my opinion, you have your opinion. And they go to this chapter and they quote one statement by Paul, but they're quoting it out of context. Right is right, wrong is wrong, These are non-essential things that we're dealing with. Verse 10, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now that statement, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, has gotten a lot of people confused about what is it talking about. We're saved. We belong to God. Why are we standing before the judgment seat of God? As you move down this context, you will see that every one of us, even as believers, will give an account unto God. Everything that we do is for God's glory. Everything about our lives, we are living for the Lord. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So we're looking at this context, and we're trying to look at the two individuals that have the difference of opinion, and both of them are doing it for the Lord, and all of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. The judgment seat of God is not where we're condemned or that we're being judged whether we're saved or not, but we're giving an account of our lives unto God, and that's who we live for. We serve one master, and so I'm not living for you, and I'm not living for another individual. I am living for the Lord. The next few verses are going to bring this out very clearly. Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. That is a quote from Isaiah chapter chapter 45, verse 12, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. As believers, we are living our lives not for other individuals. We will not stand before other individuals, our brothers and sisters in the faith, but we will stand before God. Every knee will bow, every tongue will give praise unto God. And this is the judgment seat of God. He's looking at us, and we will give an account of our lives before God. This is what Paul is saying. So it's very clear here about the non-essential things of our lives. One person has a conviction that this day is important to the Lord, so it's important to me, so I'm going to live it unto the Lord, and I'm going to keep the Sabbath. Another guy, another individual says, every day is holy unto the Lord. And he doesn't have that specific conviction, but he still has a conviction that every day is important to God, maybe on the same level. 
You talk about food. One individual does not understand that it's okay to eat food that indirectly has come from the pagan temples. It's all right to do that. They're just dumb idols. It wasn't given directly, and it's not coming directly to you. But they have the conviction that I cannot eat it. But who are they doing that for? They're doing it for the Lord. Who are they going to stand before one day? They're going to stand before God, and they are not going to stand before us. They're doing it for the Lord, and I'm doing it for the Lord because I understand they're just dumb idols, and they were not directly given to an idol so I can eat meat. But if meat causes my brother to stumble, I will not eat meat because if I convince this individual that's a weaker brother to eat this meat and its conviction and it's a issue of their faith, that's going to make them stumble. It really is. They're going against their convictions. Convictions come from the heart. And so we're going to stand before God and we have to give an account to God. We're not giving an account to each other, but everything to God. It's the judgment seat of God. I'm just thinking back to chapter 12, you know, where he talks about being kind to one another and brotherly love. And I think this kind of flows into out of that context as well, where, again, to me, it's it's a hard issue for the stronger brother. When I'm looking at Scott, he doesn't want to eat meat. He's only eating vegetables. And I'm just kind of can't believe that he won't eat meat. And how could he not understand that that's fine to do? And I'd start getting frustrated with him. But if I'm really trying to prefer him as my brother in Christ, walk in brotherly love, honor what he thinks, that's not going to be an issue for me. I'm just going to say, well, that's fine. You know, we just disagree on that. And and I can know in my heart, my conviction tells me that I'm right, that it's okay. His is telling them that it's not, but that's not something for us to get upset about, to judge him about, to maybe, you know, not invite him to fellowships because I just don't want to talk to him about that. No, I need to be kind to him and brotherly love. And like Paul's talking about here, we'll stand before God and we'll see the end of the time when what's right was wrong, but none of that really mattered, you know, because we're following Christ. We're serving him together. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So don't get caught up on that because I guess I'm challenging myself to do that. I can I can get in that mindset sometime. You see someone getting real focused on something that you know, we know I know is okay or I think and, and I'm convicted that it's okay. I can't judge that person and not you know want to love them or care about them just as much because they just don't see that the same way I do. And think about you bring up a good point as the stronger brother looking at the weaker brother If I disassociate with him over a non-essential issue of the faith, and I don't invite him to the fellowship, and I don't incorporate him, I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to have to give an account unto God of why I hurt my brother, why I caused him to stumble, why I disassociated with him, not over him living in sin, but about a conviction that he had in his heart that he was doing unto the Lord. And that's the context of the judgment seat of God here. Let's look at verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in my brother's way. There again, the same context of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So these things that are coming indirectly from the temple, they believe it's unclean. So for them to eat it would be going against their own conviction and their own faith. For if because of food your brother is hurt, 
You are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Exactly what you're talking about back in chapter 12, about brotherly love. If I'm thinking about myself, I want to win the argument on this non-essential. But if I'm thinking about the Lord and my brother, I'm not going to cause him to stumble. Christ died for him. I'm not going to make this an issue. He is my brother in the faith. I'm not going to break fellowship with him over this issue. We're going to grow together, and we are a family. We are the body of Christ. Now, let's continue here. Verse 16, Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. Things that are good can become evil if it's done in the wrong way. Verse 17, I love this statement. And we have songs about this. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You've got to see what is important and what is not important. These are non-essential things. It's not about eating and drinking, but it's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The righteousness of God, the joy of God, and the peace of God that is coming through the Holy Spirit that lives in my brother that also lives within me. Now let's look at verse 18. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another, not the tearing down of our faith, but the building up of our faith. And if we go after people in a negative way over things that are not important but are, but are convictions in their own lives, then we're going to tear down the body of Christ. This verse 19, where it says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So it's not only to leave some topics but we need to pursue some topics. What would be things that are building up the body, doing Bible study and discussing things that are important? I I would say this, that, again, it's not staying away from discussion. It's not staying away from argument. You and I may have an argument on something, but does that argument or that discussion go to a point that's separating us? So what we want to do is pursue the things which make for peace. I need to have patience. Patience is part of the fruit of the Spirit. That, yes, we have a disagreement, but we're brothers in the Lord. We're brother and sister in the Lord. So we're going to agree to disagree on this because it's not an essential of the faith. It's not about eating and drinking but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pursue those things. But I don't want to leave the impression that we cannot talk about it. We cannot dialogue. We cannot continue to go into God's Word. And we may have a disagreement, but we want to pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So if it becomes the focus of our Bible study, our prayer group, our fellowship, what we eat and what we drink, then it becomes a negative. We need to pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Verse 20 brings some more understanding. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, 
but they are evil for the man who eats and gives with offense. So all things are clean. We know Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. They're just dumb idols. They're coming indirectly. It's okay to eat. So we see that the food is clean, it's blessed by the Lord, we give thanks unto the Lord, but they are evil for the man who eats with offense. If the man thinks that it's wrong to eat, then it becomes evil to him. It is sin to that individual. Let's continue, verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine, because many times wine was offered to the idols as well. That brings back the whole story of Daniel and his friends that did not want to eat the wine or the meat that came from the king's table because in their mindset it was coming directly from the idol. Offer to the idol, the king eats it and sends it to them. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. If they have a real problem with this, I'm not going to make it an issue, and I'm not going to break fellowship with them because this is their conviction. Verse 22, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. So there is this conviction that we have in our hearts, and we must live by the conviction that we believe is coming from God. We continue to study God's Word, and maybe later on the weaker brother will come to the conviction that this is okay, to eat meat, wine, that indirectly has come possibly from the pagan temples. Verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So if Alan has this conviction that it's wrong to eat, and then I keep telling him, eat, Alan, eat, this is something, this is crazy, you don't even know what you're talking about, and finally he begins to start eating, but it's against his conviction, then it's sin. To him it is sin. And what is happening to him? His walk with the Lord, his faith is being destroyed because now he believes he's walking in sin and his relationship with the Lord, his faith is getting destroyed a little bit at a time. He is starting to stumble. That is the word stumble. If if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, Paul says, I will not eat meat. That is the principle that he is bringing to the church at Rome. I think that we have to also remember that these people may be less mature in God's word, but their heart is in the right place. And so there's respect to be had for the weaker brother. Yes, and continue to build them up, continue to teach them, continue to show them things that maybe that they later on will be convinced it's okay. I think back to our years of living in India. How would we even eat anything? Because you go to a marketplace Probably most everything that we're buying in the store earlier possibly could have been offered to an idol. So how do we buy groceries? How do we survive? And as a weaker brother, as I begin to mature in the faith, we, I understand those were just dumb idols, and it wasn't offered directly to an idol and given to me. And so I take that food and I give thanks to the Lord for his provision for my life. 
But again, if a neighbor comes and says, I just offered these sweets to Hanuman and offered it to uh, Ganesh or Ganpati, and they offer it to me and they have a smile on their face, I would say, thank you for your gift, but I cannot accept this because this has been offered to an idol. And that's what Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's a different context of chapter 8. Chapter 8 is a non-essential. Chapter 10 is an essential part of our faith. For me to accept it at that point is a participation in idol worship, and it's sending them the wrong message. I want them to know I do not participate in idol worship at all. So within the body of Christ, we will have difference of opinion about food, what we eat, what we drink, about certain days, about many things that will come up that's non-essentials. The important thing is to keep on building up the body of Christ. Think back on your life 20 years ago. Think about things that you have matured in in your understanding of God's Word, how you have grown in your faith, how your convictions have become stronger in certain things, and you've loosened up on other things because you recognize that those things were not essential to the faith. In the same way, we are constantly growing, maturing, and it's important for all of us to build up the body of Christ. This is what it's all about. We are going to give an account to God, and what we're doing, we're doing for the Lord, and let's not tear down the body of the Messiah. Let's build it up, and let's do everything for the Lord. Remember the statement of Paul. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Everything is for God's glory. Everything is about Him, and how we live our life is to glorify God and to build up the body of the Messiah. Let's close in prayer. Alan, could you close us in prayer? Dear Lord, we thank you, God, for your word, and we just thank you that this podcast, Lord, would just bring your word forth, Lord, to the listeners that are listening to this, God, and that you would just speak to all of our hearts, God, and help us to just love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to not judge a weaker brother, Lord, to not get hung up on issues that are non-essential, God, but to focus on you, to focus on your salvation, and to focus on discipleship and proclaiming the gospel, Lord. So we thank you for this, God, and we thank you for speaking to us through your word, Lord, even today, God, and we just give this podcast to you, we give this ministry to to you, Lord. We give, our, we give our lives to you, God, and we just thank you that we can even be someone that can be used for your glory, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at integrity global missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.